And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, and eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Our Father, I pray this morning that you would bless your word today. Lord, this is a familiar passage. It's a familiar because of the results of what took place with Elijah's faith in you. And I pray, God, that you would help me to deliver a message, uh, Father, that will stick out in our mind, that speaks to our heart, that draws us near to you. Lord, we need to hear from you this morning. Not, not, just, not just from the pastor, not just a message. Lord, we need, to hear, we need to hear your still small voice echoing in our hearts and our minds and our spirit. We need to hear from you today. And would you, would you use your word, the delivery of it, and Father, may you bless it with your spirit in a way that it ministers to each of us right where we are today. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Dan, if you'll pull those slides up for me. A few years ago, several of us, we had the opportunity to go to Israel. And uh, one of the first stops when you get there, you land in Tel Aviv. You go right across the Mediterranean and land into Tel Aviv, Israel. And uh, you leave there and you begin to go north along the Mediterranean. And one of the first stops you usually make is Caesarea. And uh, Caesarea is an important place in the Bible. It's where Paul stood before Agrippa and uh, delivered his uh, very famous message in Acts chapter 26. And then you continue to make your way toward Galilee and uh, eventually to Tiberias there on the Sea of Galilee. But one of the stops on the way is up on the mountain. And uh, it is that is... That is standing on top of Mount Carmel there. And uh, that's looking over the Jezreel Valley. If you don't know where the Jezreel Valley is, you probably heard the word of Armageddon. That is the valley of Armageddon. That's where uh, the great Armageddon will take place. And that's looking over the valley of Jezreel there. Go ahead and give us the next one. Uh, there is, we, we had flown all day. We come into there and of course the sun is setting in the west. And uh, there's Christy and I, a couple of years younger, uh, standing there on top of Mount Carmel, the sun shining, um, looking out toward the west, just over my shoulder. There's a, there's a picture with us removed, so you can see a better picture. But that's looking out. It's a very hazy day, and it's not very clear, but that's looking out over the Mediterranean Sea. And of course, 
Elijah is praying there on Mount Carmel and he's, he sends his servant, he's praying for rain to come. And he sends his servant to go look and see if the, he sees anything. And after the seventh time, the servant comes and he, he says, he's looking out over the sea and he says, I see a cloud like a man's hand. And, and Elijah says, go tell Ahab, he, he better get prepared because the rain is coming. That's looking out over that direction. So you can go ahead and go back to the other one. So when you look here in this passage... The Lord has sent Elijah. For three and a half years, there has been no rain upon Israel. And Ahab, at this time, he is the king of Israel. There's also the king of Judah that we talked a little bit about last week. But Ahab is the king of Israel. And his kingdom is set up in Samaria. And uh, because of Ahab's reign, and I'm going to show you something in chapter 16 shortly... But because of Ahab's reign, God was placing judgment upon their nation. And so uh, Elijah shows up the first time in chapter 17. He goes to Ahab and he says, listen, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain again. And then you get to chapter 18 here and the Lord is sending Elijah back to Ahab. And so he is is walking one way and Ahab and uh, the governor of his house, Obadiah, are out looking for green grass. Because they're worried that they're going to lose all of their livestock. It's getting to a very dangerous stage. They're in a drought. There's a famine in the land. And so there's great concern. And so Ahab and Obadiah, they're out looking for grass. They're looking for any resource whatsoever. And Obadiah happens to come across Elijah here in the beginning of this chapter. And they begin to converse and... And uh, Elijah tells him, he says, you go back to Ahab and bring him to me. And Obadiah is like, I I can't do that. He says, if I do that, as soon as I leave here, the Spirit of the Lord is going to pick you. He's he's going to get you and take you off somewhere else. And Obadiah is reasoning with Elijah. He says, have you not heard that when Jezebel, which is Ahab's wife, when she was killing all of the prophets of the Lord, he says, I hid a hundred prophets. 50 at a time in different caves, and I fed them with bread and water. He says, I fear, I fear the Lord. And he says, if, if I go and do what you tell me to do, and I bring Ahab back and you're nowhere to be found, then he's going to kill me. And he says, why would you do that to me? And Elijah is just obeying the Lord. He says, no. He says, go get him because I swear unto you, I will see Ahab before this day is over. And so that brings, that brings us up to where we're at in this passage. And when Ahab sees Elijah in verse 17, the first thing that he says unto him, Are you the one that is causing all of our trouble? The troublemaker of Israel, the prophet, the preacher, the, the man of God. Are you the one who is troubling all of Israel? It is amazing when people make decisions that get themselves in a bad situation, how they find fault with everybody else. It's amazing. It's always somebody else's fault. And and they're the ones that got themselves in that situation. If you look in chapter 16 with me in verse 29, just just a page back, in verse 29... 
of chapter 16. And it says, In the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to, begin, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And Elijah is the great troublemaker of Israel, right? Ahab thought sin was a light thing. He didn't regard God. He didn't regard what God had to think about him and what he was doing. He didn't care about that. He just wanted to worship however he wanted to worship. Are you with me? He wanted to worship however he wanted to worship. Sounds like our world today, doesn't it? I can worship God wherever I want to worship, how I want to worship. That was Ahab's thinking. And he even created another God, a false God. And he built this temple up to this God. We live in a culture and a society today that claims to be inclusive and tolerant. And they're tolerant for everything except for the one who preaches the word of God. And Jezebel was having the prophets of the Lord murdered. She was doing away with those who prophesied and preached the word of God. And Obadiah happened to be there and he happened to help a hundred of them at one particular time. So people are tolerant about everything except for those who preach the truth. Who preach that that God so loved the world, that preaches the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that preaches that one day we're going to stand before God. And if your sins are not judged at Calvary, you will be judged for your sins and you will spend somewhere in eternity, whether it's in heaven because of your faith in Christ or in eternity in the lake of fire because of your rejection for him. They say that that's intolerant. That's just preaching the truth. That is preaching the gospel message. And if you want to be saved and spend eternity in heaven, that is the one way, the truth, and the life is through Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's not, it's not a condemning message. Jesus said, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world. I came to save the world. So it's not a message of condemnation. It is a message of hope. And it is a message that must be delivered. But people are not... They don't like that message. And what happens, what happens in such a culture as that is you begin to have a mixture of people who don't believe in God and people who do believe in God. But there becomes this stillness, there becomes this quietness and people are worried about what everyone else thinks. And people begin to become worried about what someone might say if I speak for the truth. Let's be real here. Let's be real. It was a time where the preachers were being killed. 
Now, if you live in that culture, you're going to be a little, you're going to be tempted to be a little quiet. In a moment, you're going to see here in verse 22 that Elijah says, I, even I only. In Elijah's mind, he is the only one left. He is the only one that is still standing. When, he, when, the, Lord, when the Lord speaks to him in chapter 19, the Lord says, I still have 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. Right? I still have 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. But why didn't Elijah know where they were? One of the most discouraging things for us as believers is to feel that we're by ourselves, Right? And to take a stand and you look around and you hope you got people standing with you, but they can't find them. And Elijah's fixing to do something glorious here. He's about to pray down and God's going to send fire down from heaven. But you get to chapter 19, he's under a juniper tree praying that God would just take him home. You want to see depression in the Bible, look in chapter 19. Even great, powerful men who do great things for God can hit the dumps and their mind and their spirit. Here in this chapter, he tells Ahab, he says, I want you to gather everyone together, gather all of Israel together, and not only them, but I want to see your 450 prophets, and I want to see the 400 prophets of the grove. I want you to bring all of them to Mount Carmel. I've got something that I want to say to them. And Ahab had to be in a place of desperation because Ahab Ahab obeyed the troublemaker. And he goes and he gets all of Israel and they come together. They gather around and Elijah comes to all the people in verse 21. And he said, how long halt you between two opinions? I believe that we're in a great crossroads in America today. I believe we're in a crossroads I still believe revival can happen but we are in a crossroads he says how long halt you between two opinions uh, why, do you, why are you hesitating why are you, why are you in trying to have the best of both worlds it's not that he was speaking to people that don't believe in God and only people that believe in Baal. He was speaking to people that was kind of both ways. We still live in a country where people believe in God. And we still believe in a, we have a country that the majority of the people still believe in a heaven and a, and a hell. We still live in a country that's that way. But we're also living in a country where the church is on a decline. And we live in a country where, when's the last time anyone ever stopped to you and asked you if you were a Christian or if you were saved? When's the last time that ever happened? We're at a crossroads. And Elijah understood a situation here. This was a, this was a bad situation. And he gathers all the people together and he says, listen, how long are you going to be like this? Why, why, are, you wanting the, why are you wanting it both ways? How long halt you between two opinions? He says, if Baal is God, then by all means, follow him. But if it is the God of the nation of Israel, follow him. If the Lord be God, then follow him. You make up your mind. Reminds me of Joshua, doesn't it? 
in Joshua 24. And he tells his elders, he says, listen, you got to choose today whom you're going to serve. He says, if you want to serve the God of your fathers on the other side of the flood or the gods of these Amorites, then by all means, you follow them. You choose today who you're going to serve. He says, but as for me and my house, what are we going to do? We're going to serve the Lord. We get to a place in every culture where we get to a crossroads. And I'm not speaking to all of America this morning. I'm speaking to Somerville Baptist Church. I'm speaking to people in our community. And we're in a place. We're in a place in our culture where we're pulled in every direction. And there's a lot of us over in here and there's a lot of us over there. And we got to decide where we're going to follow. Baal is not a God that we worship in this world. But sports is a God that we worship. And money. We have different idols. We have different gods. We have different things that we place a great priority in. And some of it, a lot of it, we mean well with it. But sometimes it consumes our life and our relationship with God just gets quiet. So he says, this is the message, Sawyer. He says, how long are you going to just stand there? How long halt you between two opinions? Choose. And the people did what? They answered not a word. They did nothing. They just sat there. Invitation given. Okay, what are we going to do? Nothing. So Elijah steps out and offers a challenge. Let's just read the challenge. I want to get to my main, my main thought. Let's read the challenge so you understand the context. Verse 23. Let them, therefore, speaking of the bell prophets, give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood and put it put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. He doesn't want there to be any excuses. He tells the bell prophets, you choose the animals, you choose which one you want and we're both going to do the same with them. Verse 24, and call ye on the name of your gods and I'll call on the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it's well spoken, sounds good to us, let's do it. Everybody loves a sign, don't we? Lord, I'll follow you, just give me a sign. Well, there's a sign. Elijah said in verse 25, Under the prophets of Baal, choose your bullock for yourselves. You dress it first for your many. And call on the name of your gods and put no fire under. Don't put any fire. And they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from, from morning even until noon. 
saying, Oh, Bell, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. I wish I was 20 years younger, I'd stand up on this pulpit. They leaped up on that altar, you know, and probably began to do a little dance or something. And, and they're, they're getting louder and louder. And Verse 27, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. He's having a little fun because preachers can have fun. He's having a little fun at their convenience. He says, hey, cry louder, cry aloud. For he is a God. Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is in a journey or adventure. He sleepeth and must be awake. I mean, he's busy, right? He says, so you need to get his attention. Yell a little bit louder. Get loud. He's, he's, he's already talking to someone or maybe he's asleep and you need to wake him up. And they cried aloud. And they began to cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto the people, come near to me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Why are these stones upon this platform? Because they represent broken altars. They represent what used to be. I have heard this in my adult life where people talked about the way it used to be. I don't want to talk about the way it used to be. I want to talk about the way it is today and the way it can be. Elijah is speaking to them, and Elijah's not trying to create some new thing. He sees what existed, and what existed was an altar where sacrifices were once given. But now they've been, they've been tore down and the stones are still there. You see in the next verse, there's 12 stones. There's 12 stones up here. And the stones represented each tribe of Israel. And therefore, as, as a whole, represents the nation of Israel. And all the people of Israel represented every family that was there. And so he takes those stones and he begins to put them back together. Because if there is ever going to be a revival in America, we're going to have to repair the altar. We, we, we have to pray together as a family. We have to pray together as a church. It should never be a silent thing. The world should know who we're serving and who we're following. And the altars are tore down. I want to encourage every person in this church 
be sure the altar's in place. Be sure you have a spot at the altar. Be sure your prayer life is what it needs to be and your family is prayed over and you're teaching your family how to pray and call out to God and to see God answer. To believe that God can. Elijah is saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to pray to our God and we're going to see which one fire sends fire down from heaven. Would you call that a big step of faith? And everybody says, yeah, let's do that. Because if that happens, I'm going to believe in that God. And the first step is repairing the altar. And it's not just a prayer altar. It is an altar of sacrifice. And thank God we don't offer animals any, anymore. They did in Israel. So that was a common thing. But we can't offer ourselves. That is what Romans chapter 12 tells us to do, offer ourselves a living what? So we can offer ourselves, and we can, Gary, we can offer our time. Diane, we can offer our talents. There are things that we can give to God. And it's more than just taking up an offering financially and money. Money's always close to our hearts because you need it to live, right? But it's more than that. And that altar's got to be an important place. It's got to be a place where we go to meet God. He rebuilds the altar. And Elijah, verse 31, took 12 stones. According to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in places and laid them out, laid them on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and poured on the burnt sacrifice on the wood and he said do it the second time and they did it the second time he said do it the third time they did it the third time there's 12 barrels of water there's 12 stones all of them are significant and it says in verse 35 and the water ran around about the altar and he filled the trench also with water and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said here he prays here's his prayer Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Let it be known to all of these people, you are God. And he says, let it be known that I am your servant. Hello? Hello? Stick, when everyone else is quiet and Elijah is standing by himself with all eyes upon him, he is praying for God to hear him so that everyone looking at him will say, that is the servant of God. And let me add a footnote here. Christian service 
is not us doing something for Jesus Christ. It is doing those things that he has appointed and assigned us to do. We have it backwards. When we think of serving the Lord, we tell the Lord what we're going to do. That's not how the relationship between the master and the servant goes. The servant doesn't tell the master, yes, sir, I will do A, B, C, and D, but I am not doing those other things on my list. That's not the relationship of the servant and the master. The servant looks to the master. What is it that you bid me to do? And the, the master assigns, he appoints, he commands, he gives the duty. And the servant only has one response, yes, Lord. Why are we at a crossroads? Because we think we can tell God what we're going to do. And our altars are tore down. And our country is being led away from the Lord of God. Our families are being, everything culture-wise is being thrown at them. And it's, it's, it's pushing them away from God. And we're just allowing it to happen because that's what everybody else does. And eventually we get to a place where you really, you can't, you can't tell the difference between who believes and who doesn't believe. And when a roll call is given, stand up and be accounted for. Lord, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me so that everybody will know I serve you. And then he says, I want you to hear me that everyone knows that I have done all these things at thy word. You know, you might read this and you might think, wow, Elijah, Elijah took a big chance there. He took a big risk there, didn't he? That's not how Elijah saw it. Elijah says, I'm just doing what God told me to do. I'm doing how God led me. I'm not just stepping out on blind faith here and, and hoping something happens, you know. I'm not doing that. He says, I want everybody to know, I am, I am sticking to the word of God. This is how God is leading me. This is what God is putting on my heart. This is how God is directing. He says, I want everybody to know, we're doing this according to the word of God. I'm not just on some whim here where I'm trying to start something and tempt God. You might say that he's tempting God. He's not trying to tempt the Lord. And he's not trying to stand out here that maybe, maybe if God answers, everybody will think that he's some man of great faith. Or if God doesn't, then he falls and he flat on his face and everybody laughs and makes fun of him. 
He is doing what God has directed him to do. You got that? And one of the things that we need to do at the altar is, God, I am listening. What is the master bid me to do today? What step of faith would you like me to take so that people know I am your servant? And the word of God is powerful. And then lastly, this is his prayer. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. That was his wish. That was his prayer. Lord, would you hear me? Now, we might pray in that moment, Lord, would you hear me so that I don't look silly? Lord, would you hear me so that people will respect me? He says, Lord, would you hear me? That all of these people who are watching me, they know you're God. So that when they look at my life, and they hear you do something incredible and amazing. It's not, it's not because Elijah did it or BJ did it or Pastor Ricky did it. It's because God did it. There is nothing selfish in that prayer. What I want you to recognize in this series and this theme is this. The great men who did great things in the Bible, their, their goal was for God to get glory and everybody to know their God. Not them. That all may know your God. And you're capable, and you're able, and you want what you want. I want everybody to hear this, that all may know that you're God and that you are ready to turn their heart back again to you. We call that revival. He didn't even say amen. And the fire fell. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones. That's a pretty hot fire, wouldn't you? And the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I, I think I've, I've said this at some point in time. When, we, when we, we moved to a trailer park when I was in second or third grade, and it was a new lot, and it was full of dirt, and it was full of rocks, and I was seven or eight years old, and I had to spend all day picking up rocks. Somebody else has done that. <laughs> I hate rocks. Picked up rocks after rocks after rocks. 
put them in a wheelbarrow and move them to a pile. Now, when I was playing in the yard, I appreciated that. Because we used to play in the yard. I don't know if y'all do that anymore. But we used to play in the yard. But I remember there was this little grove and we, my dad cleared that out and he was burning up all the brush. And I remember taking those rocks. I hate those rocks so much, BJ. I dumped those rocks in that fire because I didn't want to ever see them again. That's when I got an education. Rocks don't burn. I was so mad. Burn, you know, they don't burn. They do if the Lord sends the fire. Burn up all the stones. It licked up all the water. It dried up everything. In verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. He is the God. You know what it takes to change a culture? You know what it takes to bring revival? It really doesn't take an entire church or entire community. It really only takes a few people. It really only takes a few people who are willing to serve and obey God. And are willing to not be quiet about it or be ashamed about it, but to be bold about it. And it's not to draw attention to themselves. That's not, you will do that, but that's not the goal. The goal is you want to draw attention to God's word. Because that's where people get help. And the goal is to draw them to your God. And all of a sudden, when that fire fell, nobody was silent anymore, Doc. Whoa, that's God right there. That's God. That's the one I'm going to serve. That's God. Do you know my God? My God can send fire down from heaven when we ask for it. My God can lick up the water and the stones. My God can make wet wood burn. That's my God. My God, my God can make the rain come down. And when you get to the end of the chapter, Ahab moves on, Elijah goes on, he begins to pray, and he says, Lord, send the rain. And he sends that servant out, and he says, look, is there a, do you see anything? And the servant says, I don't see anything. And so Elijah just keeps on praying. He says, go see if you see anything. And he goes, he doesn't see a thing. Most of us done quit praying. Well, revival's not going to happen. The rain's not going to happen. God hears me one time. He doesn't hear me now. He just keeps praying. He says, Look, he says, go out there. Do you see anything? And seven times he finally comes back and says, yeah, I see something. I see a cloud that I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen in a long time. He says, you just go tell Ahab rain's coming. My God can send the rain. Why? Why does he do that? Why? Because he wants to draw our hearts unto him. He wants a relationship. He wants us, Coulter Moore. It is more important that you have a, that a, a close walk and a personal relationship with God our Father 
and his son Jesus Christ than it is for you to like Pastor Ricky. That's more important. Elijah's not trying to draw a crowd to him. He is trying to point people to Jesus. He's trying to point people to the Lord. And that is what God wants. He wants, Darren, he wants, he wants you and him closer than you've ever been. And we live in a culture that fights against that. And it's not, it's not that Ahab, I mean Jezebel's trying to put a stop to everyone who boldly proclaims the truth. But there are people who still believe they're just quiet about it. And if Satan can keep us quiet, he does his job. That all may know. That all may know. Repair the altar. Make that a priority. Offer yourself. Offer your family. Offer offer. Offer your time, offer your talents, your ability, everything that is important to you. Say, God, here it is. I'm giving you, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you myself. I am saying here, I don't want to be a quiet one, a silent one. I don't want to, I don't want to see, I don't want to see the age in which I live and what my children are growing up in and the country that my children are going to raise their children in. I don't want to see it this way. I want to be standing, I want to stand up and be accounted for. I want people to know I am your servant. I want people to know that I live by your word. And I want people to know that there is only one God. There's only one way. And there is only one life. And that is found in Jesus Christ himself. Our Father, I pray. I pray for your power upon your word. God, that we stand for you. Lord, that we, are, that we stand and are counted for. Father, there are 7,000 others who have never bowed the knee. But Elijah didn't know who they were. He felt like he was all by himself standing. Lord, give us a host of people, a host of people in this church. Lord, who don't, who don't just worship on Sunday and are quiet in the mission field, but Lord, that their knee has not bowed and their prayer is that people will know they serve you and that people will know that the word of God is powerful because of what it is doing in our life and it increases our faith and that the end result would be that people would be drawn to you because your desire is to turn their heart back again to you. That people would be reconciled unto yourself through a faith that is in Jesus Christ alone. Help us, Lord, to be bold in that endeavor, to stand out for you, Lord, to stand up for you, and, Lord, to be known because we want you to be glorified and we want to see lives changed and we want to see our nation, Father, not, not on the fence, teeter-tottering back and forth, wondering where history is going to drop us. Lord, we want to be accounted for. We want to stand for you and see revival in our church and our family and our homes and our community and our country and it begins right here with the decisions that we make. Lord, lead us. You get glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.